Good evening, everyone. Friends, um, at the 5.30 Mass on the weekends, often I have um, given what I call my fluff homily. It's lighter, it's easier, and um, I realize now that's a disservice to those who come at 5.30. Sunday, we get the heavier theology, so you're going to get the heavy theology, and tomorrow they will get the fluff. <laughs> Apparently, everyone's going to get fluff after Mass because there's ice cream uh, in the parish hall. So my friends, the first reading, uh, taking the whole chapter uh, from Deuteronomy, what you, what you come to understand is Moses is the prophet. He is trying to encourage the people to listen to the Word of God that comes from him, the prophet, and to obey it, to be obedient. The reading that we have tonight... Uh, Sometimes you don't get that that's what is happening. What you did hear was, if the prophet doesn't do what God says, he's going to die. And that's a warning uh, definitely to the preachers, you know, to the priests and stuff. So uh, the second reading, again, taking the whole chapter, because it's kind of, what is Paul talking about? Uh, what, is he ta what is this polemics between married and unmarried, and uh, between the virgin and the, the one who's not? And what he's saying is everybody's equal. Ultimately, what he's doing is he's going to make everyone equal and say, whoever you are and whatever your state of life is, you need to be about Jesus. Now, he'll say yeah, there are some differences, but you just need to be about Jesus and stop being, having all this anxiety about other things. And, uh, and I agree with that. And uh, my friends, we have uh, Mark's gospel. Mark's gospel begins with... Um, Mark telling us who Jesus is. Uh, this is the gospel of Jesus, of Nazareth, the Son of God. That's how if you go to your Bible and you open up and you go to the first chapter of Mark, he tells you that is what his concern is. He wants you to know uh, who Jesus is and what he's about. And uh, uh, my friends, um, sacred scripture presents Jesus then uh, in two aspects, in his humanity and his divinity, because he says, Mark says he's the son of God, uh, and then he'll go on to tell us about his humanness. Uh, in the church, his divinity was more prominent in those early days after his resurrection. But uh, my friends, in the fourth century, uh, a priest named Arian, Arius, uh, he, uh, it's, it's called a... Uh, began to heavily emphasize the humanity of Jesus and kind of denying that he was divine. And uh, the church could not remain impartial in this. It had to speak out. And so Arianism uh, is a, a heretical position that people hold. Well, Jesus was really good, and he did a lot of good things, and he may have been a prophet, and he may have been a rabbi, but he was not the Son of God. And... Uh, the Mother Church had to develop uh, the idea then uh, that there were two natures to Jesus and a single person, the only Son of God, who was the Son of Mary. So my friends, this becomes key and important because of the event that's happening in the synagogue. One thing I want to be really clear with you, one of the things that the temple priests, the synagogue priests would do is they were exorcists. There is no way that this man that is being spoken about in the gospel this evening 
did not encounter those exorcists. And because the demon was still in them, that means they failed. They failed him. They failed this member of their church. Jesus of Nazareth is the ideal man in whom man's vocation to subdue all of creation is realized in a perfect way. In the creation account, we read that God gave man, and when we say that, human beings, dominion over all creatures, Genesis 1.27. But my friends, right now in this day, in the present state of the way things are, humanity's vocation cannot be fully realized. They can barely govern themselves, let alone the rest of creation. Only Jesus, by his paschal mystery, won over a renewed humanity. Only he has true dominion over everything. Jesus' word is light and is even effective against unclean spirits. His word, therefore, does not present itself as merely human, but of divine. In the gospel, Jesus always speaks with authority. When he performs miracles, as we call them, his words do not merely express a wish. Looking at myself as priest, there's many things that people ask, and I can pray, uh, and I can put those forth, and... Uh, now, when I act in persona Christi, this is different. No matter what my state is, whether I'm in a state of grace or if I happen to be caught up in mortal sin, when I go up to the altar and I enter into persona Christi and I consecrate the host, no matter my state, that will be the Eucharist. God will deal with me eventually, but for you and your sake, he pushes aside any imperfection within the priest or bishop or deacon and makes sure that whatever the sacrament uh, says it does, it will do for you. Jesus, it's all the same to him. He is like a living sacrament. Whatever he says comes to pass. This is the type of authority he has because he is God. Unlike myself, Jesus, uh, his authority is so great, even though Jesus maintains, and Mark points this out to us throughout the whole gospel of Mark, Jesus, while he was on earth, remained dependent upon his heavenly Father and was submissive to his Father's will. And this is baffling to us because he is God. But uh, we see throughout the scriptures, when Jesus speaks, uh, he acts on his own authority. This is why the, the scripture tonight said, uh, they said, oh, they, he's not like those scribes. He's different. To the leper who begs him in the Gospels, if you wish, you can make me clean. And Jesus says, I do will it. And it's done. To the paralytic, he says, rise, pick up your mat, and go on home. And it happens. And then one of the most amazing of all, 
he says to his friend Lazarus, Lazarus, come out of your tomb. He brings him back from the dead after a few days, not a couple hours as if he was in a coma, but after a few days. Jesus is the ideal man in whom man's vocation to take over creation is realized in the perfect way. Jesus is truly human and truly divine, and but he shows us how to be truly human. In the creation account, we read that God gave humanity dominion over all creatures, but in the, as I said, right now we can't manage our own lives, hardly. But Jesus shows us how to be perfect humans. And that's not the best, perfect isn't the best word to use. How to be holy as the Father in heaven is. In the gospel, we see that Jesus, at the beginning of his preaching, demonstrates his authority and spreads all among the people. And although it does not come out in the English translation, in the Greek, Jesus, everything happens immediately in Mark's gospel. The verb that is used in the Greek is immediately, immediately, immediately. Immediately, Jesus went into the synagogue. Immediately, the demon uh, started sassin, and immediately Jesus tossed them out. We don't get that in the English. It just sounds blah, blah, blah. That's what it, you know, when you read it, blah, blah, blah. And then it said, and then his fame. Then he became known throughout Galilee. In the Greek, it's like, immediately he was famous. And it is significant that Jesus would first exhibit his authority in Capernaum. He's in a synagogue in Capernaum. There's a reason for this. We don't, you don't pick it up in Mark's gospel. It is the place that crazy King Herod wield his authority in an immoral way. And it was where the Roman military exercised their authority over the people in a ruthless and disgusting way. Jesus shows up and he wields his authority with love, with right morality, and without violence. So, there's a significance that we're not picking up when you just look at the scripture and just read it. This piece is missing. But now I've inserted it for you so you understand. This is why Jesus is doing all these things in Capernaum with his authority there. He's countering everything that the humans did badly. In my friends, Jesus speaks with clarity and conviction and compelling directness that makes all human authority impotent. And my friends, the evangelist highlights two important aspects of Jesus' ministry. The first is he taught them having authority, not as the scribes. Jesus is not like the traditional rabbis and teachers of his time who constantly make appeal to the scripture. 
as if to say, in the Bible it says, or to reference authority of an ancient rabbi. A lot of times the rabbis of their time, it would be like me saying, I don't know any of this thing, but my professor taught me. Jesus doesn't do that kind of thing. Jesus convertly speaks with authority, real authority. He is the Son of God. He can speak like a teacher that has no teacher. And this clearly uh, appears in another of the Gospels, Matthew. So you can see and understand what I'm talking about. On the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, You have heard it said to your ancestors that. And then Jesus finishes it with, But I said. <laughs> Nobody but God speaks that way in Jesus' time. That begins to set him up for this. The, the authorities are like, oh, no, we're not putting up with this. He gives new precepts, more perfect than the old ones. The other phenomena that impresses people is that the unclean spirit is afraid of Jesus and does not battle Jesus. This is unique to the exorcists. Exorcists, even today, have to fight and battle. And my classmate who's an exorcist says they are not afraid, meaning the demons. This one is afraid of Jesus. What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to kill us? I know who you are. I know who you are. You are the Holy One of God. In Jesus' presence, the unclean spirit cannot help but show what is actually is. And in irony, he actually testifies on behalf of Jesus <laughs> in the synagogue. That's funny. Come on, you guys. Aren't you getting it? The demon is inside the church professing Jesus as God. And Jesus rebukes him and says, Come out of him. Leave the man alone. Tomorrow, my homily, I will focus on the man who's possessed. What would that have been like? What would it have been like to have the church fail you? This sort of authority by this Jesus of Nazareth is a commanding presence that is associated with a person's holiness. The unclean spirit acknowledges Jesus as the one of God and submitted to his authority, he got out. Now he had to get one lick into the man. Did you see what it said? Before he left, he beat the man up. He threw him on the ground and bashed him around and then got out before Jesus <laughs> really did something to him. My friends, the word that is used, and I know sometimes some of the folks don't like when I do a vocabulary, but it's important the word that we understand is holy in the scripture that's used in the Hebrew is kadash. And it means holiness, but it's 
implies somehow that the person is different from everyone else. That very distinctiveness can be enough to catch the attention of the people in the synagogue. And I think this is why uh, they began to look, because when we look at the scripture, it says Jesus was in the synagogue, and according to the way the Hebrews talk and stuff, he immediately went into this, he immediately went into the synagogue. And immediately the demon, the man who was possessed by the demon, approached Jesus. And immediately Jesus tossed them out. But in between there, Mark says, the people were amazed at how he was teaching. What did he teach? You want me to come down there and ask you? The teacher's coming. <laughs> what did he teach? Just based on the scripture I read to you tonight, what did he teach? What? Did he teach his authority? How did he do that? What did he teach? What did he say? What did he say? What was the words in this particular gospel, this passage, what did Jesus say? Come on, you guys, really? Seriously? Quiet, come out of him. What teaching is that? It's not. <laughs> Sorry, you guys. <laughs> That's why I don't teach in a regal school, because that would not be a bad teacher. He didn't teach. He didn't teach. He said something. He made a, He commanded. John is on the right track. He taught something. It's kind of what I said. Jesus is like a sacrament. What he said, how he looked, how he acted, everything is the teaching. He didn't teach. In Matthew's gospel, he goes to the Sermon on the Mount. Listen to me, I'm going to teach you the Beatitudes. He taught there. In Mark's gospel, he didn't. None of that. None of it. So what are they, what are they in awe of? What are they in awe of? Him. Kadash. The Kadash. That holiness. So sacred. So different. Something. So much so he was not like the other ones. Who tried to teach. Mark does this so that you would come to know and understand who he is. He is Jesus, the Son of God, one with the Father, God himself. It's just amazing. Can you get that just from a light reading of Mark's gospel? You absolutely cannot. <laughs> I got it from my professors. <laughs> and that's what we're supposed to be doing. My friends, on August 25th of 2007, at 5 p.m. at St. Jude Catholic Parish in Redmond, Washington, I took my first vow. And this is what the Archbishop says 
to you. So I'm a deacon. I'm always a deacon, but now I'm a priest also. It never goes away. I was ordained a deacon. You're ordained a deacon first. And like a deacon, Kyle's with his family, but he's a permanent deacon, so he remains a deacon. I would move on, known as a transitional deacon, to priesthood. And I'm a priest. For some priests, then be, have the fullness and become bishops. But on that day, in that church, he said, Receive the gospel of Christ, Mark, whose herald you have become. Believe what you read, teach what you believe, and practice what you teach. From that day forward, what am I reading? I'm, this is the book that was given to me on that day, and it has my diaconal invite, and it also has my priestly invitation, and has my mom and my dad's death notices, along with my grandparents. From that day, I have been trying to be faithful to those words that the Archbishop instilled because as he said it, he handed me this book. And while I am not perfect and I'm not faithful in all things, I've been trying to live by those words given to me. When I became a deacon is when I made my pledge of obedience and chastity. We don't take a vow of poverty. We live it, but we don't take a vow of poverty. <laughs> that is for the religious order, priests and deacons. They take a vow of poverty. Um, so that means I can have a little bit. But going back to St. Paul, he would say, you have a role. You are not better, but you do have a role. So those very words that are given to us at ordination, they're yours too, as baptized Christians. They're yours too. Amen?